This is the Frontier Freedom Hour, sponsored by Centennial Institute at Colorado Christian University. Here's Jeff Hunt. Well, howdy, friends. We're so great to ha- or blessed to have in the uh, in the on the radio program today in the radio studio. There you go, Dr. Gary Stewart, Associate Professor of History at Colorado Christian University. He's also the Dean of the School of Humanities and Social Sciences. And I'm really honored to have him here because he wrote one of the preeminent books looking at how the church engages, not only in revolution, but in the political process and public policy, titled Justifying Revolution, the American Clergy's Argument for Political Resistance. So Dr. Stewart, I'm just going to turn it over to you. Tell us what this book was about, particularly how pastors engaged during the revolution. Yeah, this book, uh, you know, really attempted to answer the question, what did the clergy during the American Revolution do? What did they think about uh, taking up arms and overthrowing uh, the British government? How did they justify that given the commands of scripture? And I, I really sought to understand it from a historical perspective. Were they doing something new? Was this unusual or unique? And so I had to look back at our, our British history, um, and, and, and in the 1600s, the English Civil War, there were Puritans who argued for taking up arms against King Charles I, and also Puritans who argued um, during the Glorious Revolution when they overthrew James II in 1689. So there's a lot of history there that um, often when people study American history, they don't take the time to look back on the British past. So I, I looked at all those arguments. I, I scoured through texts and, and uh, sources and sermons. And what stood out to me is that uh, there's this long tradition. It doesn't start in America, but a long tradition of clergy who have argued that while the Bible gives us a general duty to submit to our governing authorities, that duty is not absolute. At, at times, it rather becomes our, our duty to resist and oppose those who claim to have political authority when they use it in a oppressive or cruel or tyrannical way. And so the clergy gradually got there during the American Revolution. It took them a long time. The, the troubles began over a decade before there were arguments for taking up arms. Uh, but when the British finally started shutting down the ports, blockading the ports, preventing the basic necessities uh, coming into Boston and Savannah and other port cities, when they started firing incendiary shot into civilian populations, there were at least four that were burned down, the clergy began to argue that we need to take up arms um, on the basis of self-defense. And But it took them a long time to get there. Uh, they are not radicals in some ways. They were just trying to conserve the, um, the traditions and rights and liberties that they had had. So I think it is, it's a mistake. A lot of people equate the French Revolution and the American Revolution. And I think as conservatives, it's important to distinguish between those. Um, the French Revolution was radical. It was violent. It was um, very destructive. But the American Revolution was based on the notion of principled resistance. And the clergy got there. You know, and, and first they started petitioning, and then they started, you know, assembling and then organizing. It was gradual, it was prayerful, it was thoughtful, it was deliberate and organized. It, it wasn't, um, you know, a riot or a mob, um, but gradually they got to the point where they felt we need to take up arms to resist ourselves, uh, to, to defend ourselves, um, to resist in that form, and then finally to declare independence. 
So, um, yeah, that's what the book's about. I enjoyed writing it. It's an interesting topic, and it's gotten more relevant. When I wrote it, I was just more curious, but now it's becoming more and more relevant as the government seems to be moving in more and more oppressive uh, ways. Well, and, and there's a whole lot to unpack there. So I've often heard that the American Revolution was a, an effort to return back to what uh, England was uh, intended to be, coming out of the Magna Carta, coming out of the kind of the vision there, uh, not a breakdown and rejection of of order in many ways like the French Revolution was. And, I, and it's very important for people to understand that because uh, in many ways the call to freedom and liberty that's happening in America now is, is, uh, is a call to license. It's kind of a French Revolution. We want to reject God. We want to reject uh, all order. Uh, look at the transgender movement right now. We're just going to, uh, it's very emotive as opposed to a, a, a revolution back to uh, a, a conservative, a conserving of what makes a country work and flourish. So mm -hmm. um, talk to us a, a little bit about how the pastors saw that return back to what was good and how King George was abusing uh, what England and the colonies and the relationship should have been. Yeah, that, that's a you know, great distinction we have to we have to make. I, you know, some people in in the call for freedom and liberty are motivated by godlessness, uh, and yet our American founding, those who were calling for freedom and liberty, were actually um, at least the clergy uh, were calling for um, you know principles of uh, defending the vulnerable and and protecting. Uh, those who were being um, uh, abused, uh, certainly those in the harbor towns were being blockaded from the basic necessities of life. They couldn't trade, the, the, the ports were shut down. Um, so there did come a point where for godly principles, for uh, defending the vulnerable, the clergy arrived at the point that we have to take up arms to defend um, ourselves, our families, our loved ones, our lives, our liberties, and our property. And so, um, yeah, the clergy, you know, they were not, um, in, in general, most of the clergy supported the American Revolution. They were on the, the Patriot side. There was one or two, uh, uh, one Baptist, I can think of, one Presbyterian. Uh, about half of the Anglican Church, uh, obvious for obvious reasons, it was about 50-50 split for the Church of England ministers. But um, in terms of self-defense, that, that suddenly becomes a very... Uh, noble and courageous uh, act uh, to, to resist and to defend um, the just rights and liberties. Um, and that's totally different from a godless kind of call for liberty or mm -hmm. freedom. And we have to distinguish between the two. One's principled, one's godly. The other is a, 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 a godless mob, you know, and, that's, and we don't want to descend into that. You know? And so the clergy were important for giving leadership so it wouldn't descend into a godless mob. Um, you know, the instances of violence and tarring and feathering, they were, they were very minor. They were very There's only a few. There was uh, some famous incidences of that. But in general, we avoided going the way of the French because of the godliness of those who gave leadership to, to, the, uh, to the angst and to the frustration and to the, um, to the difficulties that they were suffering at the hands of the British. Sounds like an op-ed that I think Gary Stewart needs to write for uh, uh, how the church can engage today. But 
and we'll get into the next segment about kind of how the church can engage today. But I think it's important to point out, we've got a few minutes here, Dr. Stewart, uh, Gary Stewart of Colorado Christian University, that if you look at the Bible, you do have friction between the government leaders and the leaders of the faith. So let's go back to Moses. Let's go back to Daniel. Let's go back to Esther. Let's go back to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Let's go back to even the early church and the challenges they faced of not uh, abiding by what the government officials were doing. So you have this conflict within Christianity where Christians need to give their due uh, respect to authority. But when that authority is in opposition to the teachings of the faith, you almost have a duty to rebel against it. I mean, Moses, uh, I, I remember a German poet said that every call to freedom speaks in a, Huba, in a Hebrew accent because of that first great rejection of oppression that came from Moses when he left Egypt. So uh, talk to briefly in the next two minutes or so, just a kind of Christian tradition of dealing with this yeah. conflict. Yeah, in the West, we haven't had to think through these issues, you know, until recently. We, our culture and our government have been very Christian on, on a certain level. They've been very friendly towards Christianity, but, but we're now having to face and wrestle with these questions in ways we haven't had to before. But Christians throughout history, you're right to point out throughout history, um, you know, have had to wrestle with these questions. Christians living under Nazi Germany, they, in, in Nazi Germany, they had to wrestle through these issues. Uh, what is our duty relative to the government? Is it to submit and support, or is it to resist? And what form of resistance? How active, how aggressive, how potentially violent should it be? And different Christians had to wrestle through that, certainly in communist China with the restrictions there, or the Soviet Union. Christians have had to wrestle through these issues, and we in the West are now having to wrestle through them as well. What is our duty towards our government when the government becomes destructive and oppressive and cruel to the godly? And it's, uh, you know, again, we do obviously have a general duty to submit to our government. That's clear from Scripture. But what are the lines? Uh, what are the limits? What are the um, uh, proper responses to oppression is something that we're now just having to wrestle with. And we're having to wrestle with it because our culture is growing further and further apart. People often talk to us about, like, why is politics, why are the fighters right now being rewarded, like we talked about? And on one side, you have AOC, which is kind of leading a hard left movement. And on the on the other side, you have uh, uh, folks like Representative Lauren Boebert, who are fighting on the right. And why are they being uh, lifted up? Why are they being... Uh, supported in ways that politicians in the past haven't. Well, because our culture is dividing and there's not much common ground left. And so you have to win the ground. And that's why the supporters or the fighters are being supported is because you need to take ground uh, because our common ground is disappearing. Uh, we're losing that. And that's going to have an impact on the church because if the radical left gets control, well, they're not going to allow you to be able to uh, stand strong for your values. You're not going to be able to operate your church. You're not going to be able to operate your Christian school. You're not going to be able to operate the business in the way you want to because we don't have those common values. When we come back, we're going to talk to Dr. Gary Stewart, Associate Professor of History at Colorado Christian University about his vision. He's the new Dean of the School of Humanities and Social Sciences. So he's going to be captaining this ship as we train the next generation of leaders. Stay tuned. 